chapter 10. Let's start at verse uh, 16 tonight. Uh, If you'll remember, we finished up last week in verse 15, and uh, we were talking about how that the sun stood still at the word of Joshua, and because the sun obeyed or and, and, and the Lord stopped the sun on its axis, then they were able to continue to fight until the battle was over. So he gave, gave them an extended period of time to be able to work the strategy against the enemy. And my favorite part of that whole story is how that God allowed them to do what they could do, and then what they couldn't do, God finished up. That's where he started throwing hailstones from heaven and started picking them off one at a time. I just, you know, that that just, I I can see that in my mind. I can just see God just throwing those hailstones and taking the enemy one at a time. It's just, it's a great story. And the great thing about it is it's not, it's not a, a fictional story, but it's a historical accounting of, of a battle that took place. So that's kind of neat. But we stopped, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I think that there's some valuable information for us to receive from the remaining part of this chapter. Uh, so let's begin at verse 16 and read together. In chapter 10, verse 16, But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Makeda. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemy." And attack their rear guard. We're going to come back to that statement in just a moment. Do not allow them to enter their cities. For the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. And then it happened. While Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them. With a very great slaughter. Till they had finished. That those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp. To Joshua at Makeda in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua. That Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor be dismayed, be strong and of good courage for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, 
and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. Now, there are three things here that I want to mention to you that I think are very important for us, and, and, and it's good wisdom for us. And the first is that when you are in a season of effective spiritual warfare, the one thing that the enemy will want to attempt to do is to draw you away from the thing that you have been doing effectively and successfully and get your mind focused on something else. It may be something that needs to be done. It may be something that is vital and important, but it may be something that needs to be dealt with later down the road. The devil knows that if he can get you distracted from the main thing, remember what they used to say a few years ago, let the main thing be the main thing. The main thing here was that they defeat this enemy. And it was easy for them to get distracted because these five kings, the leaders, became afraid and they hid themselves in these caves. And so when the word came to Joshua and, jo and Joshua discovered that they were hiding in the, these caves, our natural tendency is to say, well, they're the leaders. So if we can get the leaders, we've got everybody. But the fact of the matter is, is that God had said, if you allow anyone, any of the remnant to get back to their walled cities, then you're not going to be able to defeat them. You have to defeat them before they can get back home and encase themselves in, behind their protective walls. So while, while they are here and they are vulnerable, we have to continue to attack, attack them until they are completely dead. And the battle has com been completely won. He said, now, we know where the kings are. They're not going anywhere. So he instructed them, go and put stones in front of that cave so that they will not be able to leave. They'll have to stay there because they can't get out. But we're not going to shift our energy to something that we can deal with later. We're, we've got that contained. We know where they are. That's contained. Yes, it still has to be dealt with. Yes, I'm going to have to put some energy into it at some time. But for the time being, that's contained. So don't... don't get your focus off of what is urgent so that you can deal with something that is just really, it's already contained and it can be dealt with later. So that's the first thing. We have to remember that we have to stay in pursuit of those things that God has us doing right now. And there's always a process involved. I, I, I was reminded even just today uh, about how that when I first came, the Lord had spoken to me so directly before I ever got here. In fact, al almost two years before I ever came here and didn't even know I was coming here, the Lord just spoke to me in my study one day and said, when you pastor, this is what the church you're going to pastor is going to look like. And he gave me those five things. And to me in my natural thinking about it, it seemed like it was all out of order to me because he said, first of all, they're going to be a people of purity, then prayer, then precepts, then praise, and then you're going to be able to effectively reach people. I didn't want purity to be first. I wanted, I wanted purity to be last. 
But see, I didn't know I was coming to a church that had gone through all that this church had been through. And there was an explosion of impurity. And so the very first thing that we had to do was start to restore our reputation in this community. And now five and a half years later, that is happening. It, it may not be exactly complete yet, but we're well on the way to having that accomplished. And so we had to focus in on that process that God gave and not get off base and not let anyone else's vision or mission get in our spirit because it's not ours. God gave us a directive, and so we have to stay with that. Now, how does that deal, how, how does that affect you in your personal life? Well, you, you may all be dealing with different issues in your life. If we were to go through the room and give you an opportunity to identify the things that you're battling, probably we would have a very different uh, uh, description from each of you. Uh, it may be similar. It may be in the same, same category. It, it could be physical or emotional or, or financial or whatever, but it would look very differently. And there are certain things that God would have you to do in your situation that you have to stay focused on. And you have to continue. For some of you, it's just being patient right now. And you don't want to be patient. But you've got to be patient. And if, you, if you're not careful, you'll give in to the flesh and you'll set patience aside. And then you'll start acting in the flesh and saying things that don't need to be said and doing things that don't need to be done and making arrangements for things that don't need to be made because it's easy to lose our focus. And that's what Joshua was saying to them. We'll take care of the kings later. God's already promised to give them to us. In fact, they're already so afraid that they're the ones who ran. They're the ones who hid. So it's not going to be a problem. Just put the stones in front of them. And when we get finished taking care of business here, we'll come back and collect them and deal with them in the way that God wants us to deal with them. And so it's very important. Now, when, when it came that time, they went ahead and they fought the battle. And then it came that time, Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. Now, two things happen here. And it's very important for us to understand. Now, Joshua could have just taken them out of the, of the caves and brought them out and said, okay, uh, somebody take a sword or give me a sword. And we're just going to take care of this very quickly. We're just, gonna, we're just going to slay them, kill them, get it over with. But he didn't do that. He, he called for the leaders of the clans and of the tribes. And he said, I want you to lay these kings down on the ground. And I want you to take your foot. And I want you to put your foot on their neck. Now, they're not killing them. But in that day, that was a sign of humiliation. It was, a, it was a disrobing them, if you will, of their authority. I mean, they were kings. I mean, these people knew what authority was. They were accustomed to being able to give an order, and those who were under them, they, they listened and they carried out the commandments. And so what Joshua wanted to do is he wanted to, he wanted to openly dethrone them and openly... Uh, deauthorize them, if you will, 
And the way that he did that was in a very public way. And he called for the leaders so that they would put their foot upon their neck. And he goes on and he, and he says this. He says, open the cave, bring the five kings out. They did so, brought out the five kings, named them. So it was that when they brought out those kings to Joshua, Joshua called for all the men of Israel, said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near, they put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, but be strong and of a good courage For thus the Lord will do, do you see that? Will do to your enemies against whom you fight. Now Joshua is prophesying. And what he's doing is he's he's setting the tone. And we'll see in in chapter 11, and we'll get there in just a few minutes They have one more major battle that they're going to engage in. And then after this one more major battle, then the clans are going to go to the land that God had given them. And it would become their responsibility to protect and gain all of the land within their area and within their realm. So let's just, for the sake of illustration, let's say that God gave you, before you ever crossed the Jordan, he said, this is going to be your clan and you're going to get this piece of land. You are going to live over here and you're going to get that piece of land. You, you're going to live over there and you're going to get that piece of land. And you, you're going to live over there and that's going to be, and I promise that wherever you go and wherever you lay your your foot and step your foot, I'm going to give that into your hands. But they're not going to fight now as as a one big body or one nation. In other words, not all of, Na- of Israel is going to go over here and fight and help Dorothy and get what was given her by God. And not all of Israel is going to come over here with Donna and help her fight for the land that God gave and so forth. They're going to have to be responsible for taking the territory that God has promised them. But they're going to have to do it within their own clan and within the leadership structure of their their tribe. And so that's what Joshua is prophesying. He said, I want you to see this physically with your eyes, but I want you to catch it spiritually. Because when you put your foot on the head or the neck of these kings, then what I want you to see is is that God is going to give you the ability, if you will not be afraid, and if you will not be dismayed, God is going to give you the ability He will give you as you fight to obtain that which God has promised to give you. Now, how does that affect us in our lives? This is a historical uh, document. It's a prophecy that Joshua was giving these leaders of Israel. But the application is the same for us. The devil's already been defeated. He, he is already done. I mean, he, he's like John Kasich, who finally, finally woke up and realized that he got no chance to win. And so he withdraws from the Republican candidacy. 
It just, there was no path to victory whatsoever. Well, there is no path to victory for the devil. There is no path to victory for Satan. Because God has already triumphed over him publicly. But we still have to live out our lives through the promises of God's word. So we have to take his promises and we have to believe that if God said that I could have victory in this area of my life, then why should I be afraid? Why should I be concerned about it? Because God's already promised, so I have to walk and talk and act and live as though it is already done, even though it is a will-do promise. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I got some, some news a couple of nights ago that I don't know how to process at this point. And my first, uh, my first inclination was to worry because I, I guess I'm, I'm like my dad in the sense that I tend to worry is my first reaction. It's not the spiritual response, but it's my natural bent when I get a piece of knowledge and it's like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what that means. You know, I wonder what that means. I had contacted our renters that, that are living in our house, and I said, hey, our, our lease is getting ready to be up. Soon Soon it'll be the end of the year, and just wanted to let you know that if you're interested, that Donna and I are more than happy to extend the same terms to you for the future, and if it would benefit you and your family, we'd be glad to just move forward with the same terms. And I got this little text back that just said, I'll let you know. And it just is kind of like, Okay, you know, uh, no, maybe, no, I might. And then so automatically my mind starts thinking, oh, God, I don't want to have to go back down to Cleveland and get that house back ready again and paint and clean and fix up and all that. And I start saying, oh, God, please, you know. And then finally, you know, I just, I didn't let it go really, honestly, but just for a few seconds before I grabbed a hold of that thing and I said, God, I am not going to invest any energy in worrying about this situation, none whatsoever. I can't control their decision. I can't control anything about it, but I know that you are the director of my steps you are the one who gave us that house, and when the time comes for us to uh, liquidate that house, you're going to make it very easy. It's going to be profitable for us. It could be the very best thing that could happen to us. I'm not going to worry about it. And from the moment that I grabbed that thought and took authority over it, I have not been concerned or worried at all, at not one bit. I have not, I laid my head down to sleep, and I promise you, I think I was asleep before I finished the second hole on the golf course in my mind. I was, I was completely at peace and at rest and have been. And so what I'm saying to you is, is that we have to learn how to discipline ourselves not to be dismayed and not to be fearful and afraid, but instead to stand in the promises of God. And I literally begin to speak to myself and say to myself that the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. If you give, it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. So it doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's a lease agreement or not. You know, whatever it is, God, you've made promises 
and you're going to take care of this situation. And I'm not worried about it at all. But you see how easy it is for life to throw you these curveballs. And so what, what I've learned to do through the years, and I think probably many of you have too, is I've learned how to take that enemy, that thing that one time could just throw me for a loop and lay it down on the ground and put my foot on its neck and just say, okay, you're not, you're not going to overcome me. Not this time. I've defeated you before. I've defeated you every time before. And I'm going to defeat you again this time. So while I have you positioned there, I'm deauthorizing you by placing my foot on your neck. You have no authority over me. I have all authority over you through the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not bragging but I'm saying to you, I have learned through the years that these principles can be applied to our lives. We'll still be tempted. We'll still even occasionally fall and let it grab us by the neck. But we've got to learn to get its hands off of our neck and then throw it back to the ground and put our foot on its neck very quickly and declare victory over it. Amen. I know some of you, you're wondering about that statement I made about but before I got to the second hole on the golf course. I, I, my, I always sleep pretty well. I really do. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of problems sleeping and that kind of thing. It, it's just not. But I, I learned several years ago, somebody told me, so when you, when you go to bed, if, if you will take control of your thoughts, if you will proactively think about things that will relax you, you'll go to sleep very quickly and sleep, sleep all night. Said, but if you allow your mind to be in reactionary mode when you go to bed, you're reacting at the day's happenings. You're reacting about what the doctor told you. You're reacting about what that clown said down at the, down at the store and made you mad. Or you're reacting about this. Or you're reacting about that. When you lay down, your mind just starts spinning that information over and over again. And you are reacting rather than being proactive. And so I, this, this person said, find something that is very relaxing for you. And when you lay down, live that out. And so there is a golf course in Fenton, Michigan that I played almost every day of my life for about four years when I was assigned up there because I had an overseer who loved golf and he wanted me to go with him almost every day. So I, I, we, we were members there and every day about three o'clock when we put our day's work in, we had our clubs in the car and we'd go and, I, and we played that course so many times that I still have in my memory bank all the nuances of that course. I know when the dog leg is. I know what club I have to hit in order to get it in the position I want in order to make my approach shot. I can still see the greens and how, how the putts break and all of that. So every night of my life, to this day, still, when I lay my head down at night and put it on the pillow, I say, get the driver. And, then I, and I step up to the tee and here I go. And I play that course hole by hole, shot by shot. And I rarely get by hole number two before I'm out all the way. And for those of you who are golfers, by the way, I always come in under par. Always. Just thought you should know that. 
<laughs> What's that? I didn't hear that. Yeah, well, I, I play it one by one, but I never seldom get very past whole two. Now, after, after Joshua has, has made this prophetic statement, then he moves them out of the way and he does what he knows has to be done. These kings have to be destroyed. And, so, and afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. And so it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth which remain to this day. It's interesting to me that he put them back in the very same cave that they tried to hide themselves in. The very thing that they tried to cover their sin with was the very place that Joshua put them right back in. They died in their fear is what I'm trying to say. Now, over the next several, some scholars say it's weeks. Other scholars say it's months. But they, they just systematically went through the land and went to these kingdoms and, and these little countries and nations. And systematically, they worked themselves through and and. And, and defeating them and taking the land that God gives. And, and you can go back through the scripture there. Uh, in verse 28, we see about the Canaanite city of Makeda. It, was, it fell. Uh, then Libnah fell. Then Lachish fell. Then Eglon fell. In verses 36 and 37, Hebron fell. In verses 38 and 39, Debir fell. And then 40 through 43 is a summary of all of these kingdoms that were overtaken and overrun by Israel. And so, it, and, and now one final thing, then we're going to chapter 11. It's interesting that if you'll notice with every battle that Israel has fought now, it has grown in intensity. You remember before when they were coming across the water, they really didn't have to do anything but just, just step their foot in. They didn't have to fight anybody. They just had to step into the water and God rolled the water back. They get over to the other side. They go to Jericho and they, they didn't fight hardly at all. They just kind of walked around the wall until God brought the walls down. Then they were able to go in and, and take, take Jericho. Uh, they did have a, a hiccup at Ai, but after they fixed that situation, they were able to go right in and take it. And then they fought another uh, conf confederacy, if you will, a group of allies that were coming against them. So with every battle, it tends to grow in intensity. And isn't that kind of like life? Because we find ourselves as we mature... You would think that things, the battles would get easier, but they don't get easier. They oftentimes get harder, but it doesn't seem harder because we have more knowledge and tools and, and authority than we had a few years ago. So the little things that used to throw us, uh, the big things don't throw us as much now because we've, we've got victories under our belt and we've seen God move. Okay, uh, chapter 11 now. Here, here we go. Let's read and see here what it has to say. 
Beginning at verse 1, and it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things that he sent to Jobab. Don't you love these names? Jobab. Uh, I'm not going to read all that stuff because I don't know how to pronounce them all. So, So all these kings went out, they and all their armies with them. As many people notice this as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. Now, this is just what I was saying a minute ago. Now, here they are. All of these kings have heard how that Israel is just moving through the land. I mean, you're talking about momentum, buddy, they've got momentum. That no one is slowing them down at all. They are moving through and they are participating with the plan of God. And then God is partnering with them. He's throwing hailstones at people. I mean, he is directing spears and he is, he is allowing Israel to win, win, win. And with every new uh, area that they have to take, and, and, and to receive conquest, the kings then start getting together and saying, we've got to either work together or we're going to get taken care of and killed just like them. So now, here in chapter 11, we have the northern kings of Canaan that gather together and come together against God, uh, against Israel. They know that if we don't do something now, then it's never going to happen. Now, here's what I want you to see. They were prompted to to come into this alliance with one another because of what they were hearing. They were getting the news that Israel was overcoming everything. I was just thinking today how cool it would be if the people in our community would start hearing about all the good things that God has done for us and all the good things that God has done in our life. And that is happening. It's like I told you about the barber shop. The first time I went in, it's like, where do you pastor? I told them, they said, oh, that church. And now I go in and they say, where do you pastor? And I tell them, they say, oh, that church. You see, there's a difference. And the difference is, is because people are hearing what God is doing. And so the enemy needs to hear, did you know that you have the ability to stop the enemy in its track just by what they hear you saying and how they see you responding? Not only the enemy, but people that you may be in conflict with, people that you may be struggling with. You know, do you know there are people in your life, they know that if I push this button, I will get this response. I know it because through the years, I've seen it happen too many times. If I'll say this or if I'll do that, I already know how they're going to respond because I've pushed that button enough times that I know what their reaction is going to be. You know how to beat that enemy is to make up your mind that I'm going to get my response in line with my faith and my faith in line with God's word. 
And the next time that individual pushes that button, I've already made up my mind. I'm not going to react according to my flesh, but I'm going to respond according to the Spirit of God that is in me. And you know what will happen? After a while, they'll continue to try to push that button. They'll keep pushing it. They'll just keep pushing it, thinking that eventually you will revert back to your old ways. But finally, they're going to see something's different about them. And you'll be able to explain to them that before Christ, I was in the flesh. But now that I am in Christ, old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. I'm not the same person that I used to be back in those days. Even if I was a Christian back in those days, I was a Christian with little or no faith. But I've developed my faith. I have disciplined my desires. I have got my tongue under control. And so you're not going to get a fiery tongue out of me anymore because the scripture says a soft answer is what will turn away wrath. You see, what's different about me is that I have the divine nature of a living God inside of me. And so it is no longer I that am living, but it is Christ who lives in me. I'm dead. And the life that I now live is Christ in me. That's how we respond. We don't get right back up in their face and say, oh, you think so. Well, let me tell you a thing or two. I, you know, I mean, if you think you can, you know, it's like I did when I was in fifth grade. Oh, when you think you can cuss, you just wait until you hear me. I'll make up words if I have to just to show you that I can compete with you. And we sometimes get that mentality when, when instead we, we should pride ourselves and being a reflection of the nature of God that lives and dwells in us. See, the reason these kings were so afraid is because they were hearing the reports. And it wasn't just coming from Israel. It was coming from everybody. Even the heathens were saying, don't mess with Israel now. Because if you mess with Israel, you're not just messing with Israel. You're messing with the God of Israel. And so the word was spreading. I don't know about you, but I tell you, when they lay me in the ground, whenever it was, or whenever it, well, not was, but whenever it is, maybe I'm dead and I don't know it. But whenever that time comes, I don't want people going by my my casket and saying, oh, bless his little heart. He just struggled so much in life and had so many hardships and he's better off now than he was before because at least he's in the presence of Jesus. Well, that's good and that's right and I'm looking forward to being in the presence of Jesus but I don't want people coming by and looking at me and saying, oh, he had such a hard life. Nothing ever good happened. But I want him to come by and say, you know the one thing about that guy is, is that even though he had challenges, he was always able through the power of God to overcome everything that he ever faced. And even in death, his testimony is one that brings great glory to the God that he served. And listen, the only person that can guarantee that kind of conversation at my coffin is me. Because Donna's not going to be up there and saying, you should say this about him. He'd be happy if you said that. She, she might be up there saying, oh, if you only knew. Oh, dear God, if you only knew. No, I want people who know me to say he was a victorious guy. 
He was an overcomer. I mean, when he spoke, he spoke about the good things of life. I want to be like my mom. I, we've talked about that lately. My mom, she, she had, you know, difficulties just like everybody else, but she was positive. She rolled her sleeves up and went to, went to work whatever the situation was that was at hand. She just trusted God and believed God and said, if this is what we got to do, let's just go get it done in Jesus' name. I want to be that kind of person. And they got afraid because of what they were hearing through the grapevine about Israel. So they knew that we have got to do something. Now there were two challenges here that Israel was going to face. Two. The first one is the size of the enemy army. The size of the enemy army. Look how it's described. As many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude. Now listen, all, all the writer had to do was say it would be like sand on the seashore. And that's a lot. How many of you know? I don't know if you've ever tried to count the little grains of sand. Don't even attempt. It, it's, it's just futility. But it says it's like the people were like the sand that is on the seashore. And then he goes on to say, in multitude. I mean, this is not just a little. This is a bunch of people now that Israel is going to have to fight. This is no small matter. And that's the reason God said to Joshua, don't be afraid. And that's the reason Joshua said to the kings, don't be afraid. Because God is on our side. I don't know how they knew it at that time, but somehow in their spirit, what was flowing out of them is if God be for us, who can be against us? We've got this thing. So it was the, the size of the enemy first, and then second, the technological superiority of the enemy, of the Canaanites. Because it talks about their horses and their chariots. In other words, they had better weaponry than did Israel. If you just looked at it strictly, strictly from the natural eye, you would say the favor goes to the Canaanites because they've got better horses, bigger horses, more horses, and their weaponry is much better than Israel's. But listen, that's the reason. See, see the weaponry that we use is, is for the most part invisible. It's invisible. <laughs> People can't see it. But we're talking about a shield of faith. Well, where is that? Is it hanging in your house somewhere? Do you have it displayed on your wall somewhere? Where is your shield of faith? I can't see it. Where is the sword of the Spirit? Do you have it hanging on your wall at home? You got it packing down your back leg there. If you need to, you can just pull that thing off. And No, see, the weapons of our warfare are not visible to the enemy. And that's the reason we appear to, eat, to be an easy mark when it comes to the enemy. But we are not an easy mark because our weapons are invisible but available at all times to use against the enemy of our soul. And so that's what, that's what we need to know. This was a big 
challenge for them, but it wasn't too much for them because God was going to fight the battle for them. And the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid because of them for tomorrow, verse 6, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain. What? I will deliver all of them slain before Israel, and you shall hamstring their horses, and you shall burn their chariots with fire. Now, I'm not going to get finished tonight, but I'm going to come in for a landing right here, okay? And we'll take right up next week where, where we're leaving off. We're not going to miss anything. But he, he tells them, he said, number one, don't be afraid. We've already talked about that. Because tomorrow, I'm going to deliver them to you slain. How many of you have ever de- had a pizza delivered to your house? Can I see your hands? When, when it comes to your house, it's already ready. I mean, it's hot. It, all the meat that's on it has already been slain. It's dead. It's prepared. All you got to do is get, sit down somewhere and open the box, flip it open. Uh, you don't. You don't have to kill the cow. You don't have to. You, you don't have to process the the, the salami. You don't. You, you you might have to pick a few of those ugly fish off of it, sardines, and throw them off to the side. But. But that pizza is ready to go. You just flip that thing open, you know, get your drink, sit down and start eating. That, that's the picture that we get here. God said, don't worry about it because this time tomorrow I am going to deliver them at your doorstep slain, slain before Israel. Now, a lot of commentaries and a lot of theologians will say they didn't actually come to the battle dead. When they came to the battle, they were alive. They were breathing. They had instruments of war in their hand. But what God was trying to say to Israel is, don't worry about what you see. Walk by what I've told you shall be true. Because they may be standing in front of you alive, but by eyes of faith, they're already slain. They're already taken care of. They may be standing right in your face, pointing a a sword in your face, saying, I'm going to do this to you and that to you, and when it's done, I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds. It doesn't matter what they say. Remember, the promise of the Lord was, this time tomorrow, I'm going to deliver them before you already slain. So the victory is yours. And then he says, you shall hamstring their horses. And you shall burn their chariots with fire. I'm going to close with this. But how often do we think, okay, I'm going to take what the enemy has provided as spoil and I'm going to use it for my benefit. And God says, I don't want you to have anything to do with that. I don't want you to have anything to do with their horses. I want you to hamstring them. In other words, you're going to tie their legs together in such a way that they cannot move, they cannot be used, and they will ultimately starve to death or die of dehydration because they can't get to water. You're going to lay them there. Now, why didn't he just have them kill the horses? Okay, he was sending a message that I am, I am dealing with this situation in such a way that I want you to be aware you don't mess with me. You don't mess with God. 
I will take care of this in a way that will get your attention. So he hamstrings the horses so they can't be used and so that they will ultimately die. And then he says, I want you to burn all their chariots. Now, what if you got up in the morning and you went out to your driveway and sitting out in your driveway was a brand new car, Mercedes Benz. Do you ever hear that old song? Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? You never heard that one? Oh, Dorothy, you haven't lived, girl. I'll tell you. But you knew that somebody had stolen that car and delivered it to your house and put the key in your mailbox. Now, you got a choice to make. You can go out there and say, thank you, Jesus, I receive it. Your word says that if I give, men shall give into my bosom. Press down, shaking together, and drive a Mercedes right up in my driveway. No, you wouldn't do that. You'd call the cops and you'd say, as pretty as it is, you're going to have to come get this thing because it doesn't belong to me and it's not what God has for me. And they'd come and get it. It was, it was, the, it was, it was provided by the hand of the enemy. And so what he's saying is, is hamstring those horses and burn those chariots because I'm not going to allow you to use those evil chariots and those evil horses to benefit in any battle that you fight in my name. You don't take the tools of the enemy to fight a spiritual battle. You put the tools of the enemy in the dumpster and you say, God, I could have used these, but I don't need these because whatever tools I do need are going to come through the provision of your hand. And though it may seem to my natural mind that I could repurpose these things for the glory of God, you have commanded that they not be used and that they be destroyed, which means that the tools you're going to provide for me to fight my future battles are going to be far superior to anything that the enemy might have provided for me. Well, that's hard to get in our spirits, but that's the way that we have to live. I will have no interaction with the enemy of my soul. None whatsoever. I will trust God to see me through, or I'll go down like the three Hebrews. I, I'm not going to bow to your gods and sing your songs. If I have to die in the fiery furnace... I'll die in the fiery furnace, but I am not doing what you tell me to do. And in, the, and, and in that environment, you know the story. God showed up in a supernatural way and delivered them. And he will too. And as we go forward, we'll, we'll see. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it strengthens us and it empowers us. It adds to our knowledge. And to that knowledge, Lord, you add your anointing. And that anointing breaks our yokes and sets us free. And I thank you for it. Go with us now. Keep us in your care. Protect us. Provide for us. Prosper us in all ways as we serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. God.